Welcome to volume three of Rubyisms. Uh, we've talked about this on a couple episodes previously. These are sort of nuggets of philosophy that I've published, I, I've collected in a couple different newsletters that I've written. And it's me trying to communicate ideas or philosophies or sort of uh, ways I see the world that I don't think you hear everywhere else uh, and trying to do that in a short, pithy way. So let's talk about them. Here's producer Jeremiah McVeigh. Hey, Matt. Yeah. So as I've said on previous episodes, these are ones that I selected because I wanted to ask you about them for some reason. Maybe it was something I related to myself and that's why I chose it. Or maybe I wanted to get your take on it because I kind of knew what it meant, but maybe not quite and wanted to pin it down. Or maybe I just wanted to hear you tell an example from your own life about it. So with all that in mind, here is our first one. I think this one connects to, I, I think, stuff we've talked about particularly recently on the podcast of the idea of, call it digital clutter, if you want. But uh, we'll have so many photos of so much nothing and no one will look at them. Meanwhile, your grandparents had a few photos in a shoebox and viewed them hundreds of times. Yeah, I think, well, there's one thing about how we actually store things just from a nuts and bolts perspective yeah. that like... Like, let's say you have music on a CD right now. Like, how much longer are you even going to be able to play that anywhere? Like, how these actual storage formats, will they even exist? We're putting everything in the cloud. Will we have access to that cloud account, you know, in 20 years? Like, so just physically, we may not be able to access all of the photos and data and music and so many other things that we think we'll have in perpetuity. So I think that's something to consider. And then, yeah, just, you know, the fact that uh, a photo used to be something special. You know, it's yeah. like that, you know, used to have a roll of 36 uh, photos on a roll of film. And if you got one good shot out of that 36, that was like successful from a photography standpoint. And then you, you save that or maybe it was that, you know, a, a wedding or a bar mitzvah or something like that. You would you would get family photos taken. And then, yeah, I, I remember my parents or my grandparents having like photo albums or a shoebox. Um you know, filled with things and actually looking at them. There's photos that I have that are prints from old photo albums. And like, I look at them frequently, but like so much of this digital stuff yeah. I have from like the past 10 or 15 or 20 years, like it's just sort of like kind of lost in this vacuum. Um, and then also, you know, I think it ties in with a little bit of like this, you know, whenever you, you see this, you know, shot of the Pope or of like a Taylor Swift concert or something like that, how many people are just experiencing it through their phone screen? Like, so I think part of that is tied up in, in uh, this idea, in my view of like our constant need to photograph things uh, and how it's putting us, it's putting a barrier in between us and the thing that we're actually experiencing and how that's happening all the time in ways that we don't always recognize and, and what's, what that's doing to us as opposed to experiencing the moment in the moment, we're constantly trying to capture it for some future moment that may or may not even exist when we want to like reflect right. upon this thing. Um, so I think that's probably baked into uh, that notion a little bit too. There's one thing that I do think comes out of our ability now to take so many photos. You can get it right more easily now, so to speak. Like I, I often will take like multiple photos of like, say my wife or my child or something and then be like, and and it, it takes me a while to get to capture the moment as I see it, you know, like as I want to see it, as I want to capture it. And, you know, like especially with my kids, it's hard to get them to sit still for a photo. So it's like I will take 20 photos 
and have one that I really want to keep. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm deleting all of them. I probably should that that didn't capture that. But um, it there there is that nice trade off there. I think of like being able to actually capture the moment, not be worried about film or the money that film costs or the space that it takes up or anything like that. You know, um, so I don't know. Maybe that's a upside to it. You know, to go to the wabi sabi or within photography, there was actually. Uh, sort of the school of thought uh, called Lomography. It was based on these Lomo cameras, yeah, yeah. like these old, right. like sort of Soviet cameras that were made. And basically there became like a whole sort of mindset about it too, of like, you're not going to capture things perfectly. Things will be blurry or out of focus or, you know, and, but you know what, that's going to be part of the charm that, that there yeah. you'll accept that you won't get like the perfect in focus, perfectly lit shot every time, but instead you'll capture the reality of the moment. Um, and that, that will have a beauty all in itself. Um, yeah. but I certainly get why you want to have photos of your kid that aren't blurry, you know, like it, it, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just, you know, for, you know, the amount of photos that we are all going to have of our children during this era compared to any preceding era is mind blowing. And who is going to want to see all of them? Who is it? Yeah, who yeah. is it for? We're constantly capturing these, you know, thousands hundreds of thousands of photos of our children like every year yeah. for who like what like where where true. are they going and i i just think we don't always examine like what's the you know this is just gets into you know instagram influencer you know mentality too of like who are we doing this for what what is like what is being captured and why and for whom and it, it's satiating some immediate pleasure or, or, or gratification or something, but is it really accomplishing the thing that we're telling ourselves it's accomplishing, I think is a, a question to be mindful of. I think just going back to kind of what you said near the start, I think, I do want to say also that like th those physical photos, they're also not perfect, like not just for the reasons you were laying out the, like the Lomography idea and like imperfections being an interesting thing to keep and hold on to and cherish. But also like I recently actually worked on a project, an archival project where I was helping to basically review somebody's entire 30 year career as a teacher. And I was in charge of like putting together like a, a, a slideshow for it, a, a video essentially. And looking back through a bunch of photos to try to pick some out, so many of them were so faded. I'm like, this is not how this photo originally looked. But, but you know, like those old Kodaks, they didn't keep really as well as people thought they would, you know. And, and I was showing some to my mom and she's like, yeah, I regret taking the pictures with that camera now because like they, I don't have those pictures anymore, essentially, like you can barely see it. Um, so there is a downside to that stuff, even if it was more, a, a more cherished item, it's still those decay as well, you know? Sure. Yeah. I don't think this is one where there's a binary, like this yeah, is totally, right and this totally. is wrong, but like, I think uh, I'm just teasing it out. Sure. Little, yeah. You know? No, I think a lot, a lot of these are more like, Oh, let's, let's be mindful of this or let's think about it in some other way. Or I think yeah. even with like the Lomography thing, I'm just like super confident that that will have a comeback 
in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years, some teenagers will be like, I'm going to get this camera. I'm going to do prints, things just as an, you know, just sort of a pendulum swinging the opposite way. Maybe I think Be Real is the name of that app. And there's some photo app that almost is mm-hmm. the anti-Instagram on some level of like. Yeah, yeah. I think know, it is Be Real. Yeah, it's like, you know, shoot at exactly at whenever at this exact time and just wherever you are and it's going to disappear in a day and that there's something valuable about that, too. Um, so I, I think there's just there's more than one way to to do this right, and that it might be different for different people. But just sort of thinking about what you're shooting, and as opposed to just uh, being mindless about it. Hey man, who knew that the late '90s, early 2000s had the best model of like you go and you shoot on a disposable camera, and they give you back a roll of printed pictures and a CD with all the files on it that you can print out later, too. I mean, Polaroid is pretty great, too. I mean, Polaroids are like, that's when you're at a party and someone has one and gives it to you and you shake it and like, then you got it and put it on the fridge afterwards. There's something magical about that. That's what I was actually talking about. That's the one that fades. I said Kodak before, but I meant Polaroid. Those pictures, some of them didn't last. Anyway, let's let's move on. We've we've explored this one quite a bit. Let your weight be absorbed by the ground. And in parentheses, lesson from yoga. Okay, so this gets to something for me of like I've I've tried yoga <laughs> at different times in my life. I've, it's just not something I've ever stuck to, even though I think I probably should. It would be good for me to do that. But the thing I tend to have problems with when I'm doing the yoga stuff like it is like trying to figure out like the language that some of these instructors use of like um you know push push your weight into the ground like i can understand that but like how do you actually do it yeah breathe through your back yeah 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 sure or like lace up your rib cage or some shit like that i'm like what am i supposed to be doing here can you just tell me what i the physics of what i need to do here to make this work but yeah well, explain this one to me in your own words. Sure. Uh, I guess those are your own words, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like a lot of these are just sort of like a, a, a prism through yeah. through which to see a, a bigger idea or concept. Um, let your weight be absorbed by the ground. Lesson from yoga. I mean, I think there's some different ways this work. Uh, so first of all, I'm not a huge yogi or whatever e- either, but I, I did notice. So I think I'm intrigued as someone who cares about words a lot when someone is speaking words to me and giving me instructions. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't know what you mean. So to tie into your sort of setup here, but I think that to me is interesting in its own regard of like, oh, they're using the best words they can. Maybe there aren't words to really right, okay. like yeah. explain what you're supposed to be doing. But let your weight be absorbed by the ground. I think to uh, just talking extemporaneously is like, wh- like whatever is happening, let it happen. Like wh- whatever your body contains, let it rest on the floor. Like this is this is where you are. Let it let your let your ass sit there. Let let your back <laughs> rest there. Like n- like appreciate the ground for supporting you. Notice gravity. You know, just sort of like this is reality. Like, uh, and also sometimes what I've noticed uh, uh, within meditation or yoga or something like uh, uh, relax your face. 
And it'll be something right. where I like, I would be like, oh, wow, I never noticed like how much tension I'm just carrying around in my face all the time. Like what a ridiculous thing. And I, right. I think there's something around that notion too of like, oh, there's just sort of like this tension that we're carrying around in, in our society. We're exposed to so many noises and visuals and like on screens all the time and all this stuff is like, just sort of like relax and let, let whatever is happening, like let it flow down, like let gravity work. Um, even within meditation, you know, the first thing you do after shutting your eyes is no- noticing where your feet are resting on the ground, where your your butt is sitting on a chair, where your back is resting against uh, the back of the chair, and just sort of like just noticing those points of contact. So I think it's just sort of like grounding yourself, for lack of a better term, and noticing that you're connected to the earth and to the planet. So it, it's definitely like a little bit of a... Um, abstract concept uh, like i yeah. i don't know if i can tell you exactly like what the yoga lesson slash purpose is here but that's my takeaway from it is that there's something about like kind of letting go a little bit and just noticing what's happening all the time in a way that you're not normally paying attention to yeah i think in you talking just now something clicked for me um of it's basically just saying like i guess maybe this is a definition of what being mindful ultimately is or should be maybe of taking something that is passive and moving it into the realm of active. Don't let it be passive, like notice it, be mindful of it. And that helps you either take control of it or use it for your own betterment, maybe, or, or, or notice it in a way that makes you better at least. Yeah. Like maybe it's not something that needs to be harnessed in that way, you know? But, yeah. And that your inaction is still a form of action. If you if yeah, you want to get yeah. all jazz about it or something, but yeah, I, right. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, passive to active. That's that's what clicked for me. Um, okay, so moving on, an embarrassing success is worse than a proud failure. And I guess this one, like, I understand it. I I just want to hear an example from your own life about that one. Hmm. Well, you know, I have to look at my long list of successes that I've had in my life. <laughs> I, you know, I'll go to stand up. Like sometimes you just have a joke that works really well. And you're just like, but I don't feel proud of myself for telling that joke. So I guess this ties in with like hack stuff a little bit. Cause I think about like okay. within comedy, there's hack things. And the, the worst part about hack material is that it works. There's a reason it's been done over and over again by so many people. There's a reason, you know, dudes are constantly talking about their dicks and women are talking about periods and like, you know, the, you know, black people are like this and white people are like that. Like that stuff works. Um, but that doesn't mean that you need to do it or that when it does work, you should feel proud of it or that that's the end goal here is like to just do whatever works. Um, right. And then there's other times where I've had, you know, jokes that, you know, didn't get a great response, but like, I'm like, hey, you know, uh, I don't know if I'd say I'm proud of it cause your, your job is to get laughs, but it's also to be like, okay, maybe there's still something there. Or maybe I just have to keep working at it or maybe I have to right. put it aside for a while or come back to it. But yeah, I think there's something about like, uh, you know, also, you know, if you were a business and you were profitable, you're making a huge profit off some product, but it was doing something really terrible or hurting people or, or something else like, you know, like, like it's not expanding your metrics of success 
away from like the obvious if you're a comedian laughter if you're a business profit and be like well is this is what you're doing sustainable is it what you actually want to be doing are you proud of it what you know when you tell your grandkids about like how your company made money will you be ashamed of like the actual explanation um versus like i think there can be noble failures of you know being like hey i tried to do this thing and it didn't work but you know what i'm still really proud of what I made or what I did or, you know, like how far we got, even though we didn't get all the way. Um, and just sort of recalibrating what is success. Um, and not just always going by that sort of bottom line metric. That's like the easiest one to track. Yeah. Going back to the joke, um, would it be that like a proud failure is one where like you believe in the premise, it was just your execution, your wording, wasn't quite right to sell the joke and make it go over. So like, it's just, it needs work, like you said, but the premise was strong. Yeah. Or the, like a lot of times I think about what's the idea here. Is there an idea that you actually want to communicate that you, you would right. like society to hear or know about or think about or whatever that is. And you can be like, Oh yeah, that was like a noble aspiration. You didn't get laughter at the end, and that's your job as a comedian. Um, and so, like, maybe you know, it's like as a joke, it failed, but like as a idea that you want to communicate, it was a success, um, or right. it was at least something that you're like proud of. Like, no, I really want to say this thing, and I did say it, so I'm proud of that. And another one of the Rubyisms, I'm pretty sure, is the worst thing you can do is sell out without selling anything. Yeah, yeah, that was in there. I saw that. Yeah, one. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like that ties in with this too. Of like, uh, yeah, you could you know try to write like some hit pop song for the radio, uh, but then you know if if it, like the worst thing of all is like you don't even like the song, and the only reason you wrote it was to try to get it on the radio. By the way, this is assuming radio is still a thing in this analogy, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and then you're just like sort of like uh, you know you you tried to sell out, and then you couldn't even accomplish that. Like that's kind of sadder to me than just make yeah. it making some writing exactly the kind of song that you want to write and maybe it's not a big hit but like hey at least you wrote the thing that you wanted to write yeah yeah i've kind of i've started watching a little bit more i, I don't i'm still not on tiktok but i my version of it is instagram reels i'll, I'll flip through those when i have a few moments but don't really have anything else to occupy my time but like just need to kill some time or something um and the ones that I, I just like I swipe away the fastest are the when when someone comes on and they're like, please like my song and make it a trending audio. I'm like, ugh, like are you proud of yourself for for shilling so hard? And I, I don't even know. It's it's almost an irrational sort of uh, reaction to it, really, because good for them, I guess. Like they're like it's part of it is me recognizing that I couldn't fathom doing that myself in that blatant a way but like hey whatever if it's actually a song that you like and you want people to listen to great it just like seems weird to be like shilling for it in that way so that people will hear 15 or 30 seconds of it at a time usually in in that uh, environment you know no i think you're getting at something important about this rubyism which is this concept of like what is success and what is failure and how are you measuring it? Because like, yeah. especially on social media, a lot of times it's like, well, the algorithm liked it. And, and yeah. it's, a, it, is that actual success? Like, cause I could do like some crowd work bit where I just like make fun of some dude in the audience for having a dumb job. And that like takes off and gets, you know, hundreds of thousands of views, but I could write a 
tell a good joke that I think is actually like a good joke. And then, uh, that gets only a, a, you know, a few hundred or whatever. So like, but I can also be in a room telling those jokes and knowing that they work. So like, maybe I need to recalibrate how I'm defining success and failure and not just viewing it as like the number of views that something gets on Instagram, but instead being like, well, no, I know in this room that this joke did well. And like, I'm going to go with that as my metric of success, as opposed to letting Mark Zuckerberg decide. You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at hey.com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to the Rubes Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff, too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.